But also, this morning, I really feel like God is going to hammer home the notion that whatever struggle we're going through in our life is hands-off for us. And I'm saying that first person because I am a hands-on problem solver. I'm like, I got it. I can do it. It's mine. We got this. Me and me and me, we're going to do it. But we're about to sing a song that says every victory belongs to the Lord. And the battle is his as well. He's not lost. Not one time. Right? Right? Not one time has he lost. Every battle is his. Every victory is his. And we get to, because we are so privileged that he loves us so, we get to stand and watch in the glory of his victory. Hands off. Hands off. So whatever you're doing or walking through or feeling this morning, just hands off. Try it. Hands off. And let's bring in praise, okay?
God. <laughs> yes, keep keep raising your voice to him. Yes, God. If that song wasn't enough to convince your spirit that he is able to do it, let's pray this one together. I'm praying, God, come and turn this thing around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. I'm calling on. Turn it around, God, turn it around, God, turn it around. All of my hope is in the name, the name of Jesus. Breakthrough will come, come in the name, the name of Jesus. Pray in God, come. This thing, God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. Calling on the name, the name that changes everything. Jesus, God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around.
Shout a praise unto our God. Especially if you feel uncomfortable. Put your hands up like you're taking it off of your situation. Put those hands up like you're taking them off of the situation. And acknowledge in your heart that God is doing something. And he is good. And he is faithful unto himself. So he will see what he is doing to completion. Father, we come to you. We give you the glory, the praises to your name. Father, we shout unto God with a voice of triumph this morning, a voice of triumph over death, over hell, over sin, over sickness, over disease, over depression, over addiction, over lack, Lord God, over hurt, over offense. We shout unto you, God, with a voice of triumph. You are able. You are the king. We profess it today. We profess it today, every victory is yours. We profess it today that in Jesus' name we hope, we trust, Lord God. We believe your word that not one weapon formed against us shall prosper. That you are working all things together for good, Lord God. Daddy, we praise you, we love you. Jesus, I thank you that you purchased not only our forgiveness, not only our salvation, not only our heaven, but our wholeness, our breakthrough, our health, our peace on the cross of Jesus. And we thank you that it really is not about how good we can be, but really how good you actually are. So come Holy Spirit, do what you can do. Daddy, I know that there's doubt in the room. We just loose it from us. We, we, we say we don't want it. We curse what, what doubt can do. We know there's fear, Lord God. We release it from us in the name of Jesus. We give fear no place in Jesus' name. 
Your love cast out that fear. Spur on faith. Rise up a fire deep inside, Lord God, deep within that we cannot control. Holy Spirit, pour a fresh breath on us this morning. Let the wind of God blow. Let the river and the living water fall in the name of Jesus. Come be glorified. Come and move. Come and have your way. Come on, church. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. We surrender our will to your will in Jesus' name. And together we say amen and amen and amen. Can we give God one shout of praise for the victories he's already won in your life, my God, is a victory working God. Hallelujah. Woo. Oh, I hope something's stirring in you this morning already. I hope it's not simply emotion. I, I love that God gives us emotion, so emotion stirs, but I hope it goes deeper than that. Like, that's the shallow end. There's a deeper end, and that's called faith. And faith says it is so, even when it's not yet so, so that it will be so. Faith. Let faith stir this morning. Not because we promise it, not because we hype it, but because he said it's true. What you said this morning, what you sang, may that be really the proclamation of your heart today. In your name, I trust. I can't, I love it, Margaret, what you said today. Like, at the end of the day, I try to do it all myself, too. Anybody, can I get away? Anybody else like to help God out in the way he should do it? There's something powerful about lifting up your hands. You know, the Bible says there was a battle going on with Joshua fighting a battle. Joshua is an image of Jesus. He was fighting a battle at a place called Rephidim. It says every time Mount, uh, Moses held up his hands up to God, that there was victory in the valley. Every time Moses held up his hands to God, there was victory in the valley. But when he dropped his hands, the enemy was winning. When we lift up our hands and worship, it's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a charismatic thing. It's a proclamation thing. It's God. I may be in a valley. God, I might be standing on a mountaintop. But either way, I'm going to lift up my hands because there's a battle that needs to be won in the valley of someone's life. Only Jesus can win it. Church, I, I pray that you carry that with you this week. These songs, this worship, this God that we serve. Because this has never been about how good we can be. It is always about how good he is. Is, not was, not will be when you get to heaven. Is. My God is good. My God is good. My God is good. My God is love, my God is great, my God is power, my God is healing, my God is peace. I can't find peace, he is peace. I can't manufacture peace, he is peace. I'm sure glad you stepped into the right place this morning. I don't know how you got here. Thank you for putting gas in your car at $937,000 a gallon. Thank you for getting up early. 
Thank you for choosing Jesus this morning. Out of all the other things you could have chose, you didn't choose Connect, you chose Jesus this morning. Thank you. And if this is your first or second time here, welcome. We want to thank you for coming and being a guest with us this morning. We really do hope that you consider making this your church home and your family. Can we give a shout out to everybody who's online today as well? We love you down the beach. We love you. I know some of you are still sick. We're believing for your healing. We know some of you are away and on business trips. We love you. Thank you for checking in. Look, the same God, we say it every week, but the same God that's in this room, same God that's in your room. The same God of miracles here is the same God of miracles there. We're believing for miracles with you. Can you say amen for people? We are believing for miracles for people who are here. Well, we do want to help get to know one another just a little bit. Because church, you hear me say it all the time, isn't about a Sunday morning event. It's really about learning how to live life together. So before you're being seated, just take a moment. Go talk to somebody. It doesn't have to be next. You go talk to someone, say hi, give them a fist pump or an air high five or whatever you're comfortable with. But just take a moment to say good morning. Tell them you're glad they're here. Rock star. That's fantastic. Amazing. Pastor John, rock star you are. <laughs> Pastor Ronald, how, Pastor Ron, how are you doing? <laughs> that's, that's you and me trying to get up right there. Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm going to hop right in the Word in just a second because I'm so, like, the, the Spirit is moving so much. I wanted to just give a shout out to everybody who came out yesterday and who helped with our Thy Kingdom Crumb food truck ministry yesterday. It was fantastic. Um, we gave, it was our first run, actual run back, not just, obviously we've been doing food distribution uh, for years and box distribution of food since COVID um, hit in 2020. So we do that every week, but this is the first time we were able to get the truck back out. Um, and it was so awesome. So many people came and showed up and so many uh People from the city and the town that we were in and in running me was fantastic. We saw 14 people come to know Jesus yesterday. Um, and, and really, truly, to be honest, that's what we do. Like, I know people think it's a food ministry. It's not. Food is the means. Jesus is the end. Like, we don't just give away food. Like, we, I love that we give away food because people are hungry. And you hear me say it all the time. Food is people glue. Just is, right? People gather together. But... It's a means to connect people to Jesus. When you hear us talk about this thing being all about Jesus, we actually put time and energy behind what we're saying. It's not a theological statement. It's practical life for us. It's why we invite you to be a part of Forged or Shoulder to Shoulder, which is uh, our men and women's discipleship groups that meet throughout the week via Zoom. And Because we know that Sunday morning is just not enough. Sitting next to people is just not enough. It's just not. We need each other in this thing. The Bible says where if, if one man is walking alone and he falls, who's there to help him up? But two are better than one. Why? Because there's more return for their work. Yes, you can grow spiritually by yourself, but not at the rate you can, what the Bible says, when we're together. That's why we put behind everything that we're doing is put behind the truth that we want to help you get connected more to Jesus. More to the life that you can have in him. 
Because this is what it's all about. It's not about goodness or food or good actions or even just church. It's really about how can I fall more in love with him and what in the world is in between me and him that needs to go. Sick. So I'm excited this morning. Margo, worst team, awesome, phenomenal. I, I, we could have just done that all morning. I can't wait. There will be some nights we're going to come back and we're getting there. Look, telling you, it's all good. Well, since you have your Bible, are you ready this morning? Are you ready for the word? Because I'm ready. I'm ready this morning. Since you brought your Bible, can you open with me to John chapter 5? John chapter 5. John is the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's written by John, the disciple of Jesus. He is uh, the one who he self-proclaims that Jesus loves. Uh, I love that, that he writes that about himself. I'm the one Jesus loved. Um, and uh, by the way, that's something, that's something that we all should be able to write in our diary. Like he was not afraid to write that until everybody knew for all eternity. Guess what? Me and Jesus, we were tight. Our relationship was about love. How good is that? If you need a, 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 a title for the message this morning, it's fearing the question. Fear, fearing the question. Or maybe don't fear the question. Because can we agree that we live in a world of questioning right now? Like, we're questioning, like, is this going to continue? How expensive is gas going to be? Right? What's going to happen with my way of life? Are we headed into a recession? Um, where do you stand on the issue? I mean, do you agree with me, or are you phobic? Like, that's a trap. Are you an uh, American Christian, or a Christian, America, uh, a Christian who lives in America? Are you a believer, or are you a disciple, a fan, or a follower? Or do I like church, or am I in love with Jesus? Matter of fact, if you're a four-year-old, I just saw this this week, it scared me. If you're a four-year-old, you are facing an average of 437 questions from them every day. That's insane. If you're a parent of a four-year-old, I'm sorry. But the truth is, if we're honest, right, if we're honest with ourselves, in this whirlwind of constant questioning, it's so easy to start protecting ourselves, to self-protect to get jaded with the questions and why people are asking those questions. It's easy to get a little gun-shy, especially when those questions are very personal to us. Like Danielle and I, over the last couple years, have been purposed to ask each other very difficult, hard questions. It's not fun. And, and, and in my personality type, maybe you're a little bit like me, in my personality type, when Danielle starts to push the qu um, questions that are personal to me, like the things that, you know what I'm saying, that, that, that I, I'm invested in, that maybe have a lot of my background to it, when I, I get a little defensive. I, I, I get a little protective. I come out swinging a lot of times. Come on, somebody. But they've been great for us because they've helped give me clarity on certain things, they help change the way that I see life. They help the way that I change, uh, they change the way I'm parenting, change the way that I'm pastoring, change the way that I rely on God, my relationship with it. They brought change and clarity to me. But let's be honest, questions make us feel uncomfortable. They just do. I remember when we had Bible school here, I would start off every semester by saying, look, um, 
There are no stupid questions. There are just unasked ones. Because I, I was trying to encourage them to ask questions. And then I realized I was wrong. There really are stupid questions. <laughs> but the reality is when, when we are answering questions or when we are being questioned, at times when we're answer, answering those things, it is revealing things about us we don't want revealed. And so we start to do what normal humans do, and we start to cocoon ourselves as much as we can. And so we only comment on the posts we agree with. We only hang out with people who share the same views as we do. We sit in the back of the class of life and hope other people ask the questions that we're thinking. But then God asks the question. Then God is the asker of the questions. And because we have trained ourselves to protect ourselves, we respond to God the same way we respond to others when we feel questioned by them. We self-protect. But what if the questions that God is asking are really there to help us and not hurt us? What if they're there to actually build us up and not actually tear us down? What if they, yes, actually do expose something inside of me? But what they're exposing is something that is actually harming me. What if I'm so afraid to face the question that I miss the opportunity to be changed by God and actually fall deeper in love with him? Doesn't Jesus say in John chapter 8, verse 32, my disciples will know the truth and the truth will set them free. Truth. Know it. It's not just intellectual. He's saying if you apply it, if you actually get it and start applying it into your life, it's for your benefit. It's, I'm, I'm bringing stuff to you to help you, to close the gap between us. This is a good thing. There are some questions I've got to ask you because there are some questions you will not ask yourself. That's where we find ourselves in this moment, in this text. Jesus comes to a man who has been lame for years. He's been in this situation for years. And he asks him this seemingly strange question. Do you want to be made well? And in that, the answer to that question is the ability to be set free. The ability for him to actually be changed and find wholeness. Maybe today... There are questions God is asking us that contain answers that can truly set us free from things that we've been struggling with for years. But we're too afraid to entertain them. There's still too much fear inside of us to actually be willing to wrestle with what it would mean to my life if I actually had to answer that question. But God still asks them. How do we respond to the questions? That's what we're seeing here in John chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, which actually means house of mercy. You're seeing mercy lived out in this text. 
having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water. When whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And yes, I just said water. Um, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Underline that. Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said, Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. This man was there for 38 years. 38 years. You think you've been going through it? 30. You want to talk about cumulative grief and compounded weariness? 38 years. Years, but it only took one question from Jesus to change his future. And notice, he didn't even really answer the question. In this moment, can't you feel the tension of what happens inside of us when we're asked by Jesus those deep diving questions? This tension, this unease. I'm not sure I really want to answer that, Jesus. Because the challenge for us as human beings especially if you're like me, if you were raised in America or lived here for a while, we have to understand we don't like being questioned. We don't like to think that people should ask us, do you think your way of life is right? I mean, could you be wrong in the way that you see the world, Americans? It already in here just went, ooh. But that's inside of us. And the challenge on top of that is that self-preservation, self-preservation is in our fallen DNA when we're questioned. It's already there. You don't have to bring it, it's there. We see it from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, the very first question that, uh, that is recorded that God ever asks. He comes to Adam, who has already fallen, eaten the, the fruit, he's hiding, and God says, where are you? What have you done? Who told you you were naked? And what did it elicit inside of Adam? He hid and he deflected. He hid and he deflected. Not my fault. It was the woman, God, you gave me. The same thing the lame man did. Not my fault. I don't have anybody to help me. I've got no one to carry me down. Is that actually what God asked? But there's a self-preservation inside of us. When we get asked personal questions that go deep beyond our persona, there's a defensive mechanism, a self-protection mechanism that kicks inside that's part of our fallen DNA. It's in all of us. When Danielle says to me, we got to talk, I go, oh, crap. Come on, any teenager, you know, the principal says you got to go to the principal's office, you're like, ah. Your boss calls you in and says, we got to talk. You're like, ah. It's inside of us. We're waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's part of the sinful nature that's in all of us. The reality is that this doesn't change when we get saved. What I'm talking about changes as a part of the renewing of our mind process part of the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit as he's making us more like Jesus Christ. 
It has to be purposed inside of us. It doesn't change simply after the cross. Matter of fact, we see it in Peter and Jesus' relationship. In John chapter 21, can we agree this is after the cross and after the resurrection? Peter finds himself fishing. If you kind of read the context of the story, he's kind of down and seemingly depressed, seemingly lost his way, doesn't really know what to do. And Jesus shows up. Jesus makes him breakfast, brings him around a little charcoal fire. That word for charcoal fire is only used one other place. It's in the fire that Peter denies Jesus in the courtyard on the third time. Jesus brings him back to the place, the same situation that he denied on, the same situation that broke him. And he sits him down and he says, Peter, look, I want to ask you one thing. Do you love me? Do you love me? Let's just get this right. Let's, let's go down to the deep root of this. Let's not talk about your betrayal. Let's not talk about your denial. Let's, not, let's, just, let's get to the root of what really caused you to stand around that last fire and deny me. Do you love me? Because I love you something awful. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get Peter to understand, to stop hiding, to stop identifying with himself with the past and start being who he was designed to be. Isn't that why, so often why God's asking us questions? To help us to stop hiding. Stop only being part of what we were created to be. Stop connecting with the failures of our past rather than who God has made us to be. To close the gap between us. This doesn't happen simply because we're saved. It happens because we purpose salvation in every area of our life. The issue is, my friends, and I, we find ourselves talking about this stuff all the time, but when it comes to the questions, believers tend to deflect the question in order to defend their position. They deflect the question. That's what the lame man did. He deflected the question to defend their position. But disciples are willing to be questioned. They embrace the question so that they can change their position. This is the real battleground for all of us. This is where all of us truly struggle. I'm not talking about how you answer questions on social media, how you answer ideological questions or, or, or political questions. I'm talking about how do you answer and how do you respond to the questions God is asking you. How do you respond? That's really what we're talking about. When we're reading the Word or, or we're, we're, we're hit by a message in a, in a sermon and we're like, oh, Man, how much will we allow that to change us? How much will we follow through on what God is saying? When the Holy Spirit drops something into your spirit, do you know what I'm talking about? You just drop, Holy Spirit drops something into your spirit, and then the, and he says, what now? Like, what are you going to do about now? How do we respond? This is the questioning I'm talking about. Come on, when Jesus comes to the man with a question that's going to help him, do you want to be made well? How does this man respond? He launches into a story about himself. About, you, Jesus, you got to understand my situation. you got to understand why I am, the way that I am. It really wasn't my fault. He defended his position rather than wrestling with the question. How often do we not wrestle with the questions? This is why I can't tithe. This is why I can't serve. This is why I can't forgive that person. This is why, Jesus, you've got to understand that I'm bitter. You've got to understand, God, I've been hurt from church. You've got to know why. And he said, are you wrestling with the question that I'm asking? 
The danger is, my friends, when we identify ourselves either by the position that we've had for a really long time, that we've been in for a long time, like this lame man, or the situation that we're currently in, we tend to fear the loss that is possible because of the change that Jesus is offering. The loss of perceived identity. The loss of perceived security that we have in knowing kind of who we are because of what we're going through or what we've been through and feeling okay because other people are around us who can identify with us in that. Can't you hear the internal monologue in this man? I'm like, come on, these are my people. This is my pool. Uh, this is my spot. These people understand me. I'm comfortable here, Jesus, on my mat. I mean, after all, uh, I've, how, do you know how many years I've talked to these people about the woes of my life? What will I talk to them about if things change? I am the lame man. This is just who I am. But here's the question. Even though he and even though you and I instinctually know, instinctually know we're wrong. We know it. Oh, I'm just, come on, I'm blowing up my own spot. There are times I know that I'm wrong, I still fight with her. I will still fight, oh, I'm the only person in here, a bunch of liars. You will dig your heels in, even though you know instinctually you are wrong. And even though it is broken and flawed, we learn to justify and overlook those flaws as so not to lose what we have known, our way of life. This is our way of life. So many people today in our country, around the world, in church, are fighting for this, our way of life. This is my way of life. We gotta, I'm fighting for my way of life. But have we ever stopped to respond to the question and to find our way of life by is this what Jesus says or by what we've known? But you got to understand, this is the way that I was raised. This is the way that we've done family. This is the way that I've always done it. This is the way that my friends do it. This is what my generation says is right. This is what I've always known. This is what I felt. Are we defining the way of life by how Jesus defined it? Do you want to be made well? Well, you got to understand the way I am. See, the truth is, Christianity, discipleship, is about the change of identity, the change in our security, the change in what we have known. We've been talking in Forge about Ephesians 4, about putting off the old and putting on the new. Remember I said a few weeks ago, you got to take off that old, battered, hole-filled, comfortable shirt and throw it in the trash and purposely put on something different. But I think if we're honest, the issue is so often that in our modern Christian world, we have made Christianity about a theological belief, about behavior modification, about changing how we act rather than truly changing who we are. And this is what Jesus is asking this man. Stay with me. Do you want to change who you are? Because when he asks this question, do you want to be made well? That Greek word for well doesn't just mean healing. It actually means complete wholeness. He was actually saying to this man, do you want everything to change? 
And that's really what we all are facing. When it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to being a disciple, when it comes to being a Jesus follower, when it comes to actually surrendering to who he is and making his kingdom about what we're about in our life, that really is the question you and I have to face. Do we and are we willing to allow everything to change? Do you really want to be made whole? Do we want to be made whole or just forgiven and go to heaven? Because that's not all that he died for. That is basement level Christianity. Do you want to be made whole? Whole. As disciples, when questioned, we cannot be connected to a sense of loss, but this, to this security found in love. God loves me, and because he loves me, he's working out the good for me. It doesn't always feel good when he's working out the good, but I know he is good, so therefore the result of a good God will be good for me. That's why 1 John 4.18 is so valuable, because John says perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with loss. Fear has to do with judgment. Fear has to do with something that I'm not going to have any longer. And he says, no, it's not, a it's not getting rid of something. It's getting into something. It's God's bringing you into things in our lives. This man thought that because of his situation, and he'd been in that situation for 38 years, and that began to shape his internal identity. It always does. It always will. Man, when you've been in your job for 38 years, you will identify yourself as that position. When you've been married for 38 years, you're going to tell people, we've been married for 38 years. We've been married a long time. Identify, you build an internal identity. The problem is, because he had always lost, he believed he was set up to lose. I don't have anybody, Jesus, that can carry me down to the water. And even if I get to the water, Jesus, I can't get into it. And the fear of loss, my friends, will always connect us to that desire for self-preservation. And it often manifests itself in self-pity. Our soul... When it tries to preserve itself, will find itself in self-pity because it doesn't want to lose control. So it will justify why you're saying no because of the pity of how long you've had to go through what you're going through. It's not just you and I. It's in us. We see it, the children of God in the wilderness. They had the cloud by, by, by day, the pillar of fire by night, the tabernacle, Moses, the priest. They had everything, miracles, manna falling from heaven, water shooting up from rocks. And they constantly, constantly, Numbers 14 says, constantly said, I want to go back to Egypt. I'm fed up. I want to go back to Egypt. It's not, look, it's the fear that we see rising up in them. It's not because they didn't know the slavery of Egypt but because they were more comfortable for them, slavery was more comfortable for them than the uncertainty of total surrender and transformational living in a land that they had only heard about but never saw. And that's where we live 
all the time. This goes on for us in our soul every day. We hear about the promises of God. Come on, somebody. You hear about healings. You hear about breakthrough. You hear about provision. You hear about what God can do in the land of the living. You hear it. You hear it. You hear it. You hear it. And your mind wants to believe it. But when our souls are still wandering in the wilderness, that means that we really truly haven't made peace with who God is and what God has created you and I to be, there will always be this urging, this wooing inside of us to go back and protect what you think you might lose if you go forward. To protect it. It's not just inside of you, it's being wooed by the enemy around you. Because the enemy doesn't want you to follow God. Paul says, why do I always do what I don't want to do? Because there's a sinful nature inside of me being built, bolstered by the enemy around me that's trying to get me to constantly say, I know what Egypt held for me, but it's more certain for me than the uncertainty of what I have heard about but haven't seen. Why in America do we not believe for miracles? I've been to Africa many times. It's not even second thought, of course. Miracles. But we have doctors. These are just basic moments of wrestling with really what we do believe and who we really say God is. I mean, doesn't it sound a bit crazy to ask a lame man if he wants to get better? But we're not working with logic. We're working with a sinful nature that's being wooed by the enemy. But Jesus questioned him, my friends, not to condemn him or to chastise him, but to locate his perspective. To help him locate his perspective. Not to locate his situation, his perspective. He located his situation. Jesus was trying to get him to locate his perspective. Perspective. Why? Because the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart about himself, so is he. You and I act the way that we feel. When we feel a certain way, it's why in our generation we say, yeah, but I really feel like I'm this kind of way. I feel like I want to do this. I feel like this. And so we act that way because as a man thinketh, so he is. So when God is asking Adam those, those questions, Adam, where are you? What have you done? Who told you you were naked? He's actually asking Adam, he's helping Adam to identify and locate his perspective on himself. He's trying to get him to be self-aware enough to realize where that perspective came from. That it didn't come from God, it came from the enemy. So often our perspective doesn't come from God, it comes from our hurt, our pain, our sense of hopelessness, how long we've been in a situation, what other people have told us, what the enemy is whispering into our ear. But the truth is, so often the questions of God that he's asking us is just in order to help us be self-aware, to self-discover where these perspectives have come from. And realize most of the perspectives we carry are not from him and not from his word. And not from his will. The truth is, my friends, when pain gets involved, and it usually does, when pain begins to define us, it will also limit us. He says, I have no friends. And maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe it's not. 
Isn't it interesting when we juxtapose the two positions, the lame man from this week who had no friends, but the lame man from last week who developed five friends of faith, and those friends of faith took him to Jesus. He got a miracle of faith when this guy had to wait for a miracle of grace. But one thing I know is that it limited his vision. He says, think about this for a moment. He says, I've got no man to help me get into the water. When there's a man standing in front of him who's offering to help. How often has our broken perspective kept us from seeing the man who is standing in front of us because we are telling him why we're in the situation we're in rather than being changed by the one who is there to change us? It reminds me of like the moment in 1 Samuel 16 when God says to Samuel the prophet, why are you still mourning Saul? Get up. Go anoint David as king. Why are you still mourning Saul? He's not saying there's not a time for mourning. He's asking the real deep question, why are you still mourning something so dysfunctional, someone so broken, someone that hurt so many people, Something that was never my will in the first place. Why in the world are you still mourning something when I've got a new king and a new thing for you to actually get connected to? Do you know what hit me when I was reading this? Even with Jesus standing there, this man was still looking for the water to stir. As believers, how often are we looking for other things to stimuli us into being stirred? I know, Pastor, I'll be better when the worship team, man, when worship, I'll get my worship on when the worship team. Man, I can't wait for my word. I, I need my word to die. Man, I'll be better when my wife and my spouse changes, when my boss recognizes my worth, when the medical professional gives me a different report. We are looking for the wrong thing to stir us. The question from the king should have stirred that man. It wasn't the answer. The question should have stirred him. Come on, that's why 2 Timothy 1.6 says, stir up the gifts that are already there. God's already placed seed inside of you, word inside of you, prayers from your grandmama inside of you. Some people have been praying for you before you were even born. There are things God has placed inside of you that he says stir up. Disciples cannot be passive. We must stir things up that are inside of us. Fan into flame the things of God that God has placed inside of you. I learned as a Boy Scout, man. I, we were talking about me being a Boy Scout the other day. Daniel's like, I can't believe you're a Boy Scout. I was a Boy Scout. And I learned at Boy Scouts that the longer the coal is away from the fire, the more stirring it takes to respark the flame. The more breath you got to blow on it to get the ember hot enough to cause an ignition. But I also learned no matter how dead the coal looks, there tends to be a spark still in the inside. Come on, church, it doesn't matter how long in certain areas you have let God be. You've been on the outside of being on fire for God, for his church, for his things, for his life. Man, if we start to stir them up, when we stir up faith into action, when we stir up belief into trust, sometimes I think God just brings questions towards us to stir us. Man, I haven't even been thinking about that in a long time, God. Not sure I'm glad you asked, but I'm glad you asked. Can anybody feel me this morning? 
Here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the hard part, as if the rest wasn't. Here's the hard part. Sometimes God has to position us in order to question us. Sometimes God has to position you in order to question you. Sometimes God has to give you and I an adult timeout. Come on, you know as a parent, you give your kid a timeout because you, you're going to put them somewhere so they can think about what you just told them. You're going to take away all their toys that distract them so that they can think about the question that you put in front of them. That's what God has to do with you and I sometimes. God loves us enough because he's our daddy. We're his kids. No matter how old you think you are, you're always daddy's children. He's going to give you an adult timeout, put you somewhere so that you can think about what he's asking you and remove all your toys so you're not so distracted that you can't get better. I don't know about you. I don't like adult timeouts. But if he was not by the pool, he would not have encountered Jesus. It wasn't an accident that man was there. It wasn't an accident Jesus showed up. It wasn't an accident Jesus walked past hundreds of other people and asked him that question. Sometimes God has to position us to actually be able to question us so that he can change us. Because every time we, he positions us, our soul gets out the self-pity party, throws itself a pity party parade. Why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? Why am I here? This is if, why, am, what's ha, why is this happening? I don't know. Not even going to try to tell you why. Let me ask you a question. Have you listened? Notice I did not say, have you asked? There's a time to ask. There's a time to seek. There's a, there's a time for proclamation. But the Bible, have you listened? Listened. Because I'm sure somewhere there's been a sermon that's been preached that's speaking right to your circumstance. I'm sure there's been some forwards or shoulder-to-shoulder teaching that God actually has spoken ahead of time for you to actually be stirred by. I'm sure some friend has sent you a text to encourage you out of your depression and into the peace of God. I'm sure the Holy Spirit is stirring and speaking inside of you already because my God is not silent. No matter how, how, how the heavens seem like brass, they are not. The Holy Spirit who seeks the heart of God constantly speaks to the spirit of man. Have we listened? Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. Probably one of the hardest things to do in our world. Because I choose to be still and I still have my phone next to me. And about two and a half minutes in on a good day, come on, I'm going to check. Someone text me, email come in, what's going on? Huh? Be still. He'll position you because he wants to change you. Think about Moses for a moment. Think about what God had to do to get Moses, to ask Moses one question, one question, one question. He had to get one question. He had to get Moses into the wilderness, make him a shepherd. He had to create, he had to create a spot in the wilderness out of sand and dirt and rocks that was nine million degrees. He had to, in the middle of no, the backwoods of nowhere, he had to lead the sheep that were leading Moses. Moses thought he was leading the sheep. God was leading the sheep to lead Moses. He had to create a bush that he had to manifest himself in 
for one thing, to ask Moses one question. What is in your hand? Because everything you need was already within your grasp, Moses. But I need to ask you the question so your perspective changes. What is in your, think about this just for a moment, dream with me for a minute. Maybe, maybe just from the beginning of time, from the moment God spoke the earth into existence, he had created that spot just for that moment. Maybe he had crafted with his own finger the stone and the rock and the path. He had, to, he had to make sure that the sheep were going in the right direction. He had to make sure that that bush was planted and grew to the right height. He had to make sure that the power that he, that he consumed did not be so powerful as to consume the entirety of everything. Just to ask one question. That one question not only changed Moses, it changed millions. The truth is, my friends, we will never fear the question when we know the love of the one who's asking it. Because the questions of God are questions of love. They're not simply questions of discovery, of information. But they are meant to elicit transformation in us as people. They are God saying, I love you enough to ask you the hard questions. I love you enough. You know, one of the saddest things for me in this Bible, in this story, is in that verse 13. It says, the man didn't even know the name of the man who healed him. He got what he wanted. He got what he perceived he needed. And he went on his way. How many of us get from Jesus what we think we need, what we think we perceived, and never even stopped to really get to know him? The beautiful thing, my friends, is that inside the questions of God, the questions of God contain the presence of God. They contain the word of God. They, they, the, it's the word made flesh in Jesus. Jesus is the truth of God that came to life. They are meant to reveal more of him to us, not just so that you and I can understand our situation better, but so that we can understand him better and understand who we were created to be better. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says this, that the word of God that goes forth is meant to prosper you. The word that comes from my mouth, whether it's a proclamation, whether it's in written word, spoken prophetic form, whether it's in a question or a statement, it is meant to prosper you and I. So when God brings a question, the first thing we should do is, oh, God's trying to prosper my life. It's for my good. Do you realize in Jesus' ministry, he asked 307 questions? He is asked only 183 and only answers around 11. But that's for a different day. But he asks questions like this to help real people in a real way discover a real God who wants to walk out with them in a real world. Matthew 16, verse 15. He asked that Peter a question. He says, who do you say I am? I know we've talked about who the question he asked before this, who do people say that I am? But he asked Peter this question, who do you say that I am? 
And in that moment, it unlocked an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to give Peter a revelation he never had before. And he comes out and he says, I know who you are now. God showed me, I know now, that the question unlocks something inside of me. I know who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was a game changer for him. It changed the trajectory of his life. It changed the trajectory of our lives because he wrestled with that one question. Who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah. Matthew 8, they're out on the Sea of Galilee. They're in a boat. Jesus is asleep. Wind and waves start to come up. They think they're going to die. They are freaking out in the situation they can't control. They wake Jesus up, and they're like, we're going to die. He asks them this question, why are you so afraid? I'm the master of the wind and the waves. I'm here with you. I've got you. Why are you afraid? And he speaks to the wind and the waves. And they fall down in the boat. You are truly the Son of God. Who do you say I am? Why are you afraid? Matthew 14, just a few chapters after this. Peter's out walking on that same water. He's walking on the water. He's walking on the water. And then he begins to see the wind and the waves. Do you know the, remember the story? He begins to see the wind and the waves. And he becomes afraid. And he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches out a hand. And he lifts him up. And he says this. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? I'm here, Peter. I've always been here, Peter. Even when I'm asleep, I'm not sleeping on the situation. Um, I've got your back, Peter. I always have. Don't you remember just a few weeks ago when we were on the same water, facing the same situation, I asked you, why are you afraid? Because remember, Peter, I already asked you, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Why are you afraid? Why do you doubt? Near the end of his ministry, Jesus, in John 6, Tells people that they have to eat of his body and drink of his blood. They think he's talking about cannibalism. He's talking about communion. The Bible says a whole bunch of people start leaving. Disciples, people who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, they start to leave. Jesus turns to the 12 and says, you want to go too? Are you going to? He's asking them a simple question because we all face this when our friends leave. Are we leaving too? Is their validation more important than Jesus' validation? Whose connection are we more connected to? Because people will leave you. People will leave church. People will leave God. People will leave truth. People will leave. And he's asking the real question. Are you going to go too? Are you afraid? Are you doubting? Do you remember who I am? Question upon question. Upon question, upon question, John chapter 10, I'm in mean Luke chapter 10, someone from the religious world comes and asks Jesus, he says, uh, which one of the commandments are the most important? And Jesus said, what's in the word? What's the word say? And he said, well, I got to love people and love God with everything you've got. He said, you got it. He asked the question to make sure that our lives go back to living our life based on what the word says. Not opinion, not religious tradition, 
Not what the culture says, not what Rome said, not what Greeks, Greece said, not what Egypt said, not what people said. What does the word say? Because why are you afraid? Why are you doubting? Do you not remember who I am? What is written? Do you want to be made well? Do you want everything to change? Do you want your way of life to be my way of life? Because if you've already wrestled with fear and doubt and the word and abandonment and betrayal and you remember who he is, that old way of life doesn't seem so enticing anyway. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Search your heart, Peter. Because I've already wrestled with you about my word, about whether to doubt and be afraid. Remember who I am? Do you love me? Because I love you. I love you. I love you. Every question Jesus is asking are real life situations for us. They make us wrestle with really who we are and who he truly is to us. He's making us wrestle with our perspective, with our pain, with how we view our position. I think it's interesting that this lame man never asked Jesus what he meant by being well. Was it just about healing or was there more? How can I be made totally whole? How can I walk now that I can walk? Would you like me to follow you? He just got what he qualified as what he needed, and he moved on. Don't fear the question. Wrestle with it. The question's meant to stir you. Not to condemn you. Do you love me? That's a pretty powerful one. Will you forgive 70 times 7? Why are you afraid? Why are you doubting me? No condemnation, just introspection. My God is a good God. He positions us to question us, to set us free. I know that we all recognize that our past is broken. But it's only when you and I can actually own the fact that our past is broken. And that there's still some of that that still lives inside of me. But it still does not devalue me even though it's within me. That's when true transformation can come. This lame man, my friends, did not have to deny that he was lame. He just had to be willing to wrestle with the question of the king. Do you really want your whole life? 
do you really want to be made completely whole? Same question that he's asking you. Do you want your whole life to change? Do you really want to be made whole? That question should stir us. Let's pray. That same question that Jesus asked the lame man who was broken on the mat is the same question he is asking you and I today. Do you want your whole life to change? Do you really want to be made whole? And let him define what wholeness is is whether that means you get up off the mat or you don't let Jesus define what wholeness is today I think if we're honest there may be some of us in the room some of us listening or watching online that can honestly say I'm not sure I want Jesus. I don't, I'm not sure I want everything to change. I like the forgiveness thing. I, I like the heaven bit. But I don't really know if I trust him. I don't really know if I believe he wants everything good for my life. I don't know. I don't know. It's okay. There's a man who encountered Jesus who had a sick son comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I know you can heal my son, but help me in my unbelief. God never worries about the state, the status of where we are at the moment, but the willingness we have to trust him for our future. So that's what I'm asking you today. The only way to be made whole the only way to actually step into a deeper revelation of who he is, of peace, of wholeness, of seeing the fruit of the Spirit truly magnified and grown and produced in every area of our life is to be willing to let him change every area of our life. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And maybe this is the first time that you'll ever say to Jesus, I, I want you fully into my life. I, I'm willing to give you everything. The Bible says if you're willing to do that, today you'll be saved. Today the Holy Spirit will come inside of you. Today Jesus will manifest himself in your life. Today's your day of salvation. But maybe you've been in that position. Maybe you know Jesus, but to be honest, your coals, your embers have been low. They have been fading out. The fire, the spark has been dwindling slowly but surely. 
Today is the day to step back into that fire. Today's the day to stir something up by saying, Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I surrender. All to you, I surrender. That's what we're going to say. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and stir up something already placed inside of you. You are not void of the Word of God. You are not void of the love of God. You are not void of the, pro the promises of God. There have been people praying for you. There's been words seeded inside of you. There's been a spirit wooing you before you've even known him the word of God is already there today I'm praying the Holy Spirit stirs it up so if this is who you want to be all in for Jesus can you just pray this from the bottom of your heart with me just say dear Lord Jesus I choose today to be all in I'm asking you to change my life I hold nothing back. My answer to your question is yes. I want to be made whole. So I surrender my way of life, my perspective, my past to you today. And I am asking Jesus for you to be the Lord and Savior of my life to forgive me of all my sin, to fill me with your spirit, and to set me on your right path. I give you the glory, I give you the praise, and I choose today to live full on for you, for your kingdom and your cause. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And amen. Come on, can we give God some glory? Hallelujah. Woo. Oh. Ugh. How about if we just wrestle with the, those questions we ended with? Why are you afraid? Who do you actually say I am? Why do you doubt? What's written? Is it in the Word? Are you going to leave too? A whole bunch of people walking out on God after the pandemic. You out too? Do you know we made well? Whole? Do you love me? Wow, what a question. How about if the answer to that question is no? Okay. I would rather somebody tell me that right now they're not in love with me than to act as if they do and constantly feel the coldness of their vacancy. It's all right. God's not afraid of the answers. We are. Today I pray that you give God space. You give your soul permission to listen to the questions. To wrestle with the questions and to be stirred by the God of the questions. I'm going to just ask Pastor Rick as we get ready to close service today. Come on up, lead us in our lead us in our worship of offering. Can you guys give Pastor Rick a hand as he's coming? Thank Love you. Pastor Thank Rick. You. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Kyle. Let's give Pastor Kyle a hand for stirring us today in an incredible way.
And we're going to have an opportunity right now to, um, for some of us, to change our positions. Let's be open to that. We're family, huh? And we're grateful for everyone in this room. We're grateful for your giving. And I just wanted to uh, give you a little bit of information on how to give today. You'll see tables all over the room that have envelopes in them and pens. And you can write out your envelope and your check and put it in the kiosks that are in the back areas as you leave. That's one way of giving. The other way of giving is to, uh, you can also put cash in that kiosk as well. I don't have a key, so it's okay. And there's other ways of giving. If you just take your phone, smartphone, open up your camera app and point it to the QR codes that are on the screens right now, that's another way of giving as well. You know, before I got saved, um, I used to go to church and I used to give. Never thought about what I was going to give before the baskets were passed around. I just kind of looked in my wallet and uh, I would drop a, a Lincoln usually in to the basket with no thought about its connection, neither to God or to the community. And then I got saved and I began to be taught what the Bible says about giving. And that changed everything. We're really big here at Connect about the why. And one of the whys is certainly because Jesus told us to do that in Matthew 23. This we ought to do. We see it in the Word of God in Malachi. Bring the entire tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in our house. And yesterday there was food in a parking lot in Runnymede. And we fed 165 meals, but we also were privileged to lead 14 people. We call them guests. We pray that there'll be disciples one day because of the generosity in this room. We also do it because we love God. We want to grow the kingdom of God, and we want to love people tangibly, and we do that. But we need some of us here, and this is not a condemnation, to be challenged. That's what we're doing. We're stirring up things. And that message stirred me up to a greater depth of giving as well. And then we, I also learned that this word tithe, what it meant. It wasn't what I had in my wallet. I was a passive giver before. And now I'm a purpose, an active giver. But I know what the boundaries are in terms of what the Bible says about 10%. And I, I really want to challenge everyone in the room today, you know, to be able to do what the Word says, and your life and the life of this church will not be the same. We don't spend a lot of time talking about the benefits to us, but they're numerous in there. I don't have time to go into all of it, but you can't outgive God. I know that's a saying you hear all the time, but it's absolutely true. Yes, sowing and reaping is not just about money, but it's not not about money as well. So I hope this is an encouragement to you because before I thought as a child, didn't know, walked with a child, looked like a child, but I became a man. But I was a man who was an unsaved giver. And it was, like I said, it was passive. So because of the message today, 
it really, really motivated me to take a real look at what God wants me to do in the circumstances, not just tithes, but also offerings and other acts of charity. So anyway, let's just pray. And we just thank you, Lord, for the wonderful, motivational, inspirational, biblical sermon today that challenged all of us in this room. We thank you that we will change our position to join where you want us to be, each and every one of us. We thank you for what happens here in this church, what happens in our community, what happened yesterday with TKC. We thank you for the many blessings. We ask for special blessings upon, upon everybody in this room and their families. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> everybody in the room was wondering what's going to happen to that money that he tossed. <laughs> Aw. Nah. <laughs> Everybody, would you stand with me? That's my dad, if you don't know. <laughs> but, you know, first of all, everybody just take a deep breath. Sometimes we have to do that. There's a weighted word that we just heard. And it's weighted because even if we haven't fully processed it yet, we understand that there's a cost attached to what we talked about today. It, it really is attached to our real lives, not just our philosophy, but to viewpoints and relationships and our time. There's things that have to get moved around when God has space to not just convict us, but then to help us move according to those questions that he's asked us. So I just want to, I want to end in prayer, but I also want to help us remain open outside of these walls to registering those questions so God can keep talking to us. He talks to us in messages and he talks to us in our groups during the week, but he, but he talks to you. He, talks, he just talks to you. And I just want to pray for your spirit to remember that the word tells us that deep calls unto deep. So the deepest parts of God are going to be talking to the deepest parts of you. And sometimes we think that the deepest parts of us are our pain, are our arenas of brokenness. But the depths of God, they go deeper. And that's where I'm going to pray that he registers inside of us this week. Father, I thank you before anything else, that we serve a good God. Thank you for being kind. Thank you for being gentle. Thank you for being clear. Thank you, God, that we don't serve a God where we have to figure out where you stand or what you say or what you think or what you promise. Thank you, Father, that your word is so clear about who you are. God, I would pray that you would help each person in this room this week remember and learn about who you are so that when your questions do come, we remember that they come from a God who is passionate about us and from they come from a God who has our very best intention in his heart. You have eternity in your sight when you talk to us, God. 
You have our relationships in your purview, God. There's nothing that you don't see that we know is going to cost us something. It all registers to you, God. We don't talk to a God that is not registering the things that matter to us. So God, I pray that you would help us open our spirit this week a little more, longer, for longer conversations, even if they are ongoing conversations in our deepest places with you. And Father, I pray that you would help people begin to distinguish as never before the voice of their God. And that you would help them, Father. Some people in here are saying, but I don't know. Sometimes the difference between my voice and his voice and other people's voices. God, would you see to it that you make your voice distinguished above all other voices to them? That you would come to them in answer form. And God, that we wouldn't dictate what you say when we hear your voice. That we would just listen to your voice. God, help us to be brave. This takes bravery, God. This is the, this is the path of a, of a disciple who is familiar with bowing. And so, God, I pray that you would help us bow quicker, that we would find our place at your feet and embrace it, God, no matter what question you're asking us this week. In your name, amen. Amen. Church, today I'm just going to ask that we just quietly leave and just ask them, uh, John and Ron, do you just pray for play for just a few minutes, just a few, for anybody that just wants to linger for a moment, that we would respect that, and then we would just um, exit to the lobby if we want to chat.